much, David. Hello, everyone. Um, if you are here and you came for the dedication, uh, you're especially welcome. If this is not what you normally do on a Sunday morning, you're looking outside thinking, I would be going for my 10K run uh, or whatever it is that you'd be doing, then I want to say you're really, really welcome and welcome to those online. Uh, please, now that we've done the dedication, please don't switch off because uh, I know what that would be like, but I want to encourage you that when we do this, when we gather around God's Word, our experiences in this church is that, that things can happen in our hearts and minds that actually change the trajectory of our lives. Uh, we believe that actually these words are not just some words written by human thought, but actually that God has revealed something about who He is and how we can live with Him uh, that is, has a power way beyond language. And so that prayer, David, is helpful because we want to pray that God will do something more than just, well, you sit there, or you sit there, and then listen to me, and then that's it. We're praying and expecting that something else will happen uh, that will be of a supernatural in its nature. So just go with us on this journey. In fact, we've been on a journey through the book of 1 Corinthians, as David said earlier. Uh, it's been part of our Essential Matters series. And uh, through this letter that was written over 2,000 years ago by the Apostle Paul, uh, we've been exploring uh, what, what does it tell us about our lives today. And uh, just a warning, because in this church family, we talk about, uh, we don't kind of skip over the difficult subjects. And so already, as we've been reading through 1 Corinthians since many months ago, we've talked about um, the arrogance of some people to think that their church leader was better than another, kind of divisions in the church, uh, about people who are just depending upon human eloquence and the difference between human eloquence and the power of God when he speaks by the Spirit. I'm looking at the headings in my Bible. It talks about uh, Paul's relationship with the Corinthians, with the people he's writing to. Uh, he condemns spiritual pride. That's uncomfortable. He, he talks about stop arguing between you and taking each other to court in the church. He then moves on to sexual sin and to marriage, and he doesn't pull his punches there. And he's writing this letter, and he says that they're, they're quarreling about the wrong things. He then goes on and challenges them in chapter 10 about them worshiping other gods instead of the God who created them and the mess that that creates. Then he says, and as for when you come together as a church, I've got nothing to praise about what goes on when you come together. And when you take communion, you're rushing it. There's no dignity. There's it's kind of chaos when you meet. Uh, and then he goes on to the, the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And he talks about love in the, in the midst of all that. He talks about people speaking in strange tongues. You might have heard that during our worship this morning. And uh, saying, stop making a big issue of that. It's better, actually, if you make clear sounds to people uh, who are on a journey to faith. And then he comes into land at the end of chapter 14, calling them to orderly worship. That's what we've been to so far. And it's been uncomfortable, but it's been good walking through this letter. Now we're going to go to another subject, um, which is uncomfortable. And it would be kind of easier today, uh, particularly that there are many guests here who's like, well, I, I'm just stuck here between the person to my left and my right. I can't get out. And I love Josiah and Eliana and Noah so much that I'm going to sit here. And now we're going to talk about a subject that we try and avoid at almost all costs. I want to talk today about some really, really, really bad news. I want to talk about death. I, hold me, because does anyone want to hear some really, really good news? Yeah? I didn't come to church. Listen, the way to get to the really, really, really good news is by acknowledging 
the really bad news. So, welcome to Wellspring Church. <laughs> Let's talk about death. When one of my earliest memories, uh, maybe I'm thinking about the age of five or six, was um, my dad coming home from work. You see, my father was a fighter pilot in the US Air Force. And he would come home after a tour of duty, very often over Eastern Germany or over Eastern Europe, scaring off the Russians and telling them to leave Western, you know, during the age of the Iron Curtain, to push them back into their own territory. And my dad would come home from work and he'd be in his flight suit, completely exhausted. And I have vivid memories of him collapsing on the sofa. He didn't even get changed, just exhausted. And I'd climb on top of him and try and wake him up. Dad, Dad, we want to play. Let's go play. We had a dog called Duffy. Let's go, to, let's go for a walk. And he was just exhausted. And I have memories of then him, sometimes hours, only hours later, the phone going, the radio call coming, and he had to get back in his plane because the Russians were trying to scare us. In fact... The, the image on the screen now is the one that I had in my brain, and it was of nuclear doom. Because I began to understand that it wasn't just the Russians that we needed to be afraid of, but actually nuclear war. And that's a lot to take in as a child, that, that actually we've got missiles pointed at each other across the Atlantic, across the Pacific, and actually there are, there's a red button. Anyone heard about the red button? I had nightmares as a child about the red button. And I became aware that we're all going to die. Someone was going to hit that red button, and within minutes, we were all going to be annihilated in a nuclear holocaust. That was kind of the, that was the thing that was in my head. And I realized something that is actually true. We're all going to die. When I was a bit older, um, I kind of come, came to terms with that, and then there was no nuclear war, and I got through, managed to get through secondary school. And I remember a moment after finishing secondary school that we didn't have electronic means, no one had a phone or anything uh, on them. But I remember hearing the news, and the news was that uh, one of our classmates had been in an accident. In fact, there's a picture on the screen here of this is my class photo in fourth form. Does anyone remember forms? I was in, that's in fourth form. Well, uh, in the, the girl there that's, cir that's circled in the red circle, um, I, heard, can you, I don't know if you can see me, on the back row in the middle, that's evidence that one day I had hair, all right? So just, <laughs> there's evidence. I heard news that um, she was in an accident with her boyfriend on a country road. And it was such a horrendous accident that the only way they could identify her was through dental records. I was aware in that moment of something really, really awful. And that is that we're all going to die. More recently, um, with the threat of the news from initially China and then all around the world was of this ugly, awful Thing. We know what this is, right? Coronavirus. And this deadly virus starts in one tiny corner of the world and ends up reaching almost every populated area on the planet. 
And some of us see even that drawing, see that picture, and we shudder. The reason is because we know people who died of this awful disease. Really awful. I want to say today, let's acknowledge, death is awful. Death is our enemy. And some try and kind of uh, cover it over and say, well, you know, death's not really that bad. It's just kind of like walking into another room. I'm sorry. That might be some way we placate ourselves. But let me make clear, from a Christian point of view, the testimony of this book, at least, is that death is awful. It's our enemy. Something that God, someone or something that God has created is, is no longer alive. Death is awful. And during the COVID pandemic, uh, social scientists and commentators started talking about something becoming heightened, and it's called mortality salience. I don't know if you've ever heard of this before. I'll explain it. Mortality salience is a mixture of two things. Firstly, the instinct to avoid death. There's a reason why we don't walk into an articulated lorry when it comes down our road, Yes. There's, there's a reason that we don't do that is because we'd rather live. And for most of us, that's the, there's this instinct, a conscious instinct to avoid death. Secondly, in the mix of this, in mortality salience, is the reality, the intellectual awareness that ultimately we can't avoid it. So we, we don't want to die, but we can't stop ourselves from it. That creates in the human mind and the human, in all of us actually, terror. It creates in us a fear. And we have a way of dealing with that fear. There's two ways. One is that we avoid death. And the second thing is we distract ourselves from even thinking about it. And that's why there's not often that you'll be in a conversation and someone wants to talk about death. It's not the kind of thing, you know, how's the football? Oh, Watford have just signed a new striker. Oh, yeah, and by the way, we're all going to die. No one does that. No one wants to talk about it. In fact, we watch a football team's performance, even as horrendous as it is supporting Watford in recent years. We'd rather do that, partly because it kind of anesthetizes us to the really big issue is that Watford maybe get relegated, but one day we're all going to die. We don't want to talk about that. I know this is uncomfortable. Listen, I didn't write this. We could be talking about chapter 14 or 16, but today it happens to be my privilege for us to read chapter 15, and we'll get to that now. I want to show you that there's, there's nothing unique about this uh, issue. In fact, before we get to that, it's worth noting that in 2015, in an article, I read a journal article uh, called In the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology. And the humanist's response to mortality salience is this. I wonder if we can have that on the screen. This is what they said. Um, the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology said this. We need to raise self-esteem to protect against death concerns. In other words, the world's solution, without acknowledging God, the world's solution is the way we deal with our concerns about death is we just make ourselves feel, ourselves feel better about ourselves. What kind of strategy is that? Oh, well, we just, I, look, I look at the mirror and I feel better about myself. What, so you're not going to die? Let's turn to the Word of God. And interestingly, in the first century when Paul writes this, they were aware of death much more than we were. Most mothers would have at least one child 
either miscarried or stillbirth or die in the first few weeks of life. It was normal. They were surrounded in Corinth by death. And I hate to say this, but they were, they were you know, there was a selective, they were selective in allowing which infant to live and which to not according to gender. And so there's horrendous, there's death everywhere. And in the midst of that, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church, to the believers, to remind them of what they know. For some of you who are familiar with this teaching, what I'm telling you is not stuff you don't already know. But sometimes we need to be reminded of what we know because we've stopped living in the confidence of what that is. Can I hear an amen? Listen, and here I go quicker the more amens I hear. That's just how it works. And also, uh, if it's uncomfortable, you say amen. It might help you feel better as we're going along. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The Apostle Paul is writing, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. He says, now, he's writing to the church. Let me remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. That's a good point. If this thing isn't true, you're an idiot. He doesn't quite, that's that's my version. Anyway, verse uh, 3. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the Scriptures said. He was buried and was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers, at one time most of whom are still alive. Listen, although some since have died. Then, verse 7, then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. And then he talks about his experience on Damascus Road. He says, last of all, as though I'd been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. For I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. And one of the reasons that Saul, before he became Paul, persecuted the church is because the church was talking about resurrection and he wanted to shut them up for this radical, ridiculous message about the resurrection. We'll jump down. Verse 12. But tell me this. Since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there'll be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. Let me just make this clear. When he's talking about, he's talking about the resurrection, it's over here, okay? The, the eternal, once and for all, resurrection of all those that have died, in, that death will be defeated ultimately. Some call that heaven. The promise that one day Jesus will return and death will be finally dealt with. He's talking about the resurrection, okay? So I'm going to read this again. He says, um, for it is, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless. And your faith is, let's say it together, useless. This is kind of an important deal, isn't it? And we all apostles would all be lying about God. For we said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there's no resurrection of the dead. And if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you're still guilty of your sins. Oh, shame. 
In that case, all who've delight, died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. Let me make this clear. He's saying that Christ, was die, Christ died, he was risen from the dead, and because he was resurrected, listen, if he was resurrected, then us living in the hope of the resurrection is not a waste of time, it's not useless, it's useful. But he says, if that didn't happen, we are more to be pitied because we're living with a false hope in the resurrection. So this is kind of important. This is why when you come together like this, we need to talk about important things. Either, either Jesus died and was risen from the dead, and then we have an opportunity to live in hope of the resurrection, or we should all be somewhere else. We should be on our 10K run. I'm not going to look at anyone any intentionally at all like that. I, I, we, we should all be doing something else. It's a waste of time. It's useless. My preaching is useless, Paul says. That's what he says. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. Verse 20. But in fact, Christ, hallelujah, has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who've died. Hallelujah. I'm preaching myself happy. I was happy before. This is really going some. I'm telling you, this is good news. It's either really, it's obviously either really twisted, terrible, awful news, or it's really, really good news in light of some really, really bad news. The title for my talk is simply this. We'll die with Adam. Will we rise with Christ? Let's say it together. We'll die with Adam. Will we live with Christ? That's the ultimate question. Every other question comes under that question. We, we will die with Adam. But will we live with Christ? Let me read it and explain what I mean. Here's verse 21. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun, has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. Let me try and step this out for you. You might be familiar with the idea in the story of Adam and Eve. The Adam he mentions here, the Apostle Paul mentions, is the Adam we read about in the book of Genesis. Adam had the choice of either to live God's life or to live his own life his own way. And Adam and Eve were deceived in the garden. And because of their selfishness, they took the choice, instead of living in God's life, if you like, to live life their own way. And as a result of that, God, because he's not controlling, he's loving. You know, love doesn't control. God said, okay, Adam and Eve, if you want to live your own life, then live your own life. They step away from God's presence. And in the end, you see, the problem with the, the sin-filled life, the selfish life, is that it's deadly. The wages of sin is death. In the end, the living our own life without God is living our own death. It's just a matter of time. And we know that because we have an amazing ability to mess things up, 
That's because we inherited from Adam. All that selfishness. We have relationships that we want to look after and we mess them up. We make promises and we break them and we mess things up. We try and solve the problems in the world with human ability and we mess things up. We try and save the planet and actually we make things worse and worse and worse and we mess things up. The reason is because that's just living the life of Adam. This is what he says. He says, so just as we inherited from Adam one thing, Jesus comes from heaven, he's not stained by the shame of Adam. Jesus comes with the life of God from heaven, and he comes and lives a perfect life. He's not inheriting the shame and the sin, but on the cross, this is the whole gospel in a nutshell. You want to wonder what these nutters in church believe? It's really simple. Actually, we'd lived our own life, but actually our own life is death. Then Jesus on the cross, he took all that shame, all that sin on himself. It was so awful and so ugly. Even God in heaven had to turn his face away. And Jesus from the cross says, Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they do. They're lost in their sin and their shame. And he spreads his arms on the cross and he dies. It says in Philippians chapter 2, it says, God did, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to hold on to, but instead he became obedient. Obedient to what? Obedient to death on the cross. And then they buried him in a grave. Like we've been singing, they put him in the grave where all the dead people go. But according to the scriptures, after three days, Jesus rises from the dead. Resurrection life comes to earth. <laughs> now, if he didn't, we're all just... But if he did, we have the best news that cancels out all the other bad news. Can I hear an amen? amen? So he rises from the dead. And this is what Paul is saying. He says in verse 22, he says, um, it's a verse 22, just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. Hallelujah. Benjamin Franklin in 1789, having just finished writing the Constitution of the United States of America, one of these great uh, human efforts. Uh, this is what he said. Um, he says, our new constitution is now established. Everything seems to promise it will be durable. But in this world, nothing is certain except death and taxes. <laughs> we can do our best efforts. One thing's guaranteed. Guess what? We're all going to die. And someone's going to tax us between now and the day we die. And it's true. It doesn't matter where you live, the tax man will follow you. <laughs> Paul is a defender of this truth. And not everyone likes this because, and you might be uncomfortable, you're probably very uncomfortable, some just thinking, this is really uncomfortable because this calls me to account to God. A God I'm not even sure I believe in. When is Tim going to finish? Well, Paul has many people that are opposing him. And I think he's got in mind in Ephesus, they used to have these arenas where they put uh, wild, fierce animals and they put gladiators in. You might have seen it in the movies on TV and uh, where they, get, they don't feed a lion for a few days or weeks even. And they put human flesh, sweaty human flesh in the form of a gladiator in the arena and they say, right, go for it. And because there's no Netflix, you know, there's no Amazon Prime, so what are they going to do on a Saturday evening? They're going to watch, watch somebody be mauled to death. 
hey, you know, thumb up, thumb down, all that kind of stuff. You've seen it. And so listen to what Paul says, because he feels like he's in that kind of place. He says, for I swear, verse 31, for I swear, dear brothers and sisters, that I face death daily. This is as certain as my pride in what Christ Jesus our Lord has done in you. And what value was there in fighting wild beasts? He taught those people of Ephesus, because some of them are treating him like that. He says, if there'll be no resurrection from the dead, what's the point? If there's no resurrection, let's feast and drink, for tomorrow we die. Don't be fooled by those who say such things, for bad company corrupts good character. Think carefully about what is right and stop sinning, for to your shame I say that some of you don't know God at all. And he's writing to the church. Some of you are in the church and you don't know God at all because you're living life like, hey, let's just eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we're going to die. Like a gladiator who's going to be mauled by that lion. Today's today. Que sera, sera. Live for today. Anyone hear that on your social media feed? That's a meme, isn't it? Live for today. No, live, live today in light of forever. He goes on in verse 42. I wish as we had more time, we're going to jump down. He's, there's a conversation about what kind of body are we going to have? Is, the, is it going to be a human? Is it, are we going to float around in the resurrection? Are we going to be like ghosts? It's worth remembering that when Jesus was raised from the dead, he was even more real than he was before. They touched his hands. He still had the scars. That's a mystery. That's amazing. He still had the scars, but he, they touched him. He ate, and it didn't just kind of float through him like the invisible man. You know, he was real. In fact, he was so real that he walked through walls. He was more real in his resurrected form than the walls some man had created. Think about that for a moment. I reckon even the, when the, the stone was rolled around the resurrection day, that was so that we could see in, not that he could get out. He wasn't knocking, hello, angel, where are you? He didn't, he's more real than the stone. So, so that this is, the conversation goes on. Anyway, verse 42. It's the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to life forever. Our bodies, listen to this, are buried in brokenness, but they'll be raised in glory. They're buried in weakness, but they'll be raised in strength. Hallelujah. They're buried as natural human bodies. They'll be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as their natural bodies, they're also spiritual bodies. He, he's talking about light, bodies that are fully, fully filled with the resurrection power of God. That's what we have to wait for us. And maybe you, you have faced death yourself. Or maybe you've grieved the loss of someone you loved. Or maybe you've just been aware of sickness and disease and the way that that can threaten life. Just want to acknowledge that. Death is awful. Decay is awful. And we've all lost loved ones to this. And you know, I say, what's the, the, the thing is that there is a promise in Christ that one day, listen to this, I'll read it again. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they'll be raised in glory. They're buried in weakness, but raised in strength. When I first read this, I just had a flashback. When I first read this as a young lad, maybe 12, 13 in church, I remember reading, looking across the church to a guy called Roger Button. And he was doubled up in a wheelchair. I don't know how many times people gathered around Roger to pray. 
He lived a long, painful life of suffering, but he knew the presence of Jesus. I remember, I just had that flashback. I've just, just thought about it. I remember looking at him and saying, I wonder how Roger will dance in glory, free of all that. That is the Christian hope, or it's no hope at all. Hallelujah. I can't wait to dance. Not much of a dancer. My wife Helen will tell you, but I tell you, I think I'll dance with Roger when I see him. There'll be a day when death is finished, when the dead will rise. And before we come into land, just a couple of other thoughts. Firstly, this is a continuous experience. Firstly, Jesus has resurrected us in history. He's risen from the dead. He will resurrect us. Can I hear an amen? He will resurrect us. But amazingly, he's resurrecting us now. Because his mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. And that's grace that I mess up yesterday and I can be resurrected again today. I make a mistake yesterday. Do you know what? Today is a new day. And that's what living really is, is living life in light of eternity. Not living for today, but living today in light of what is still to come. Hallelujah. So instead of eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, maybe the choice is more like love, give, and be joyful, because today and forever we're going to live. What's got into those people? Well, what's got into the people is, is the resurrection power of God. I'm not expecting a government or anyone else to save me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. In 1 Peter chapter 1, 3 to 5, it says this. I'll read this to you. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we've been born again, because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation, and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you now by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. Hallelujah. I think Jacob on the keys is ready for me to finish my message, so... I hear you, Jacob. (laughs) Verse 54 of 1 Corinthians 15. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death. And the Lord gives sin its power. But thank God. Everyone say thank God. Thank God. He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 58. So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically. Yes, that does say work. That does mean how you are in your work tomorrow. That does mean what you do with your time. That does mean what you do with your talents and with your treasure. That does mean work. And work enthusiastically. Or it says in other translations, abound in working for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. I say, God, would you protect us, please, 
from wasting our time, wasting our talent and our treasure on anything that is useless and temporary when we could live in light of eternity and make a difference in this world that will last in the next. Can I hear an amen? Oh, God. Be strong. Be immovable. You might say, well, I feel weak. Well, I'm saying in the presence of God, receive strength. Oh, well, I'm not convinced. It's like, well, in the presence of God, be convinced. Oh, I've never really thought about this before. I said, well, in the presence of God, think about this now. Because the decisions we make in this place, the, the things that we do right now in this moment, could change the trajectory of our eternity, not just our lives. So if you've got a phone in your hand or a Bible, I wonder if you could just, I invite you to just put it down to your side and we're going to pray. I want to pray to the church that, pray for us as a church that we never waste our time and our talent and our treasure on things that are useless. But everything we do would be for the Lord. But before we make a, a kind of sung response, I want to invite you to pray a prayer that we've, we call it the commitment prayer. You can join in this at home too. And it's a simple prayer of acknowledging our desire to live for Christ. Hear the heart of God today. He says, if you want to receive my life, give me yours. So give me your life and I'll give you my life. <laughs> Hear the heart of God. He says, give me your life and I'll give you mine. So I wonder if you can have the commitment prayer on the screen. I'd like to invite you all to stand, actually, just as a means of making response. And if you feel so inclined, there's no pressure on this at all, but if you want to recommit or commit your life to God in prayer, you might want to have a quick look at the words that are on the screen. We're going to pray this prayer together. I invite you to join in if you want to. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me enough to die on the cross for me. I'm sorry for living life my own way instead of your way. That changes today. I give my life to you. I choose to follow you and ask you to teach me your ways. Thank you that I can live forever because you rose again. Let's say that last sentence again. Thank you that I can live forever because you rose again. Hallelujah. Amen. Shania is going to lead us in some sung response and some worship. I want to say if you prayed that prayer in a special way, either for the first time or in a way that is like a coming back to God, I really urge you, tell the person you came to or the person next to you if you came on your own, We'd love to walk with you on that journey towards resurrection. But now prayer for all of us before we sing. Lord, we want to pray right now. We welcome you. Thank you that you're here in this room. We can sense your presence. I pray, God, that resurrection life would return to every tired soul. Every beaten up memory would be healed. Every weary soul would be lifted and rejuvenated. And wherever death has crept in, wherever decay has 
crept in. We pray instead in its place for your life. We pray for resurrection life. In this room and at home, we pray resurrection life in your glorious name. Amen.